you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Our text this morning is verses, uh, or verses 8 through 10. And the title of the sermon is God's Workmanship on Display. If you're following along in the chairback Bible, the black ESV Bible there uh, in front of you, uh, I think you can find it on page 9, yes, 976. Before we read the text, would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word, we acknowledge that this is, in fact, your written word. We acknowledge, Father, that your word has authority in our lives. And so we now uh, mentally and physically are placing ourselves under your word. And so I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would guard our ears and our hearts. Lord, guard my lips. But, Father, I pray that you would speak through me, anoint my lips, anoint our ears to hear, and speak the truth of your word, Father. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would apply your word into our lives. And, Father, that you would make your word rich in our ears and satisfying to our taste. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was excited to receive an ice chest for my boat for Christmas. You know, that's one of those things that you won't go out and purchase for yourself, but I needed one desperately because the one I had was probably the one that came with the boat, and it was cracked and just wouldn't hold ice for very long. And so my wife bought me one, my kids bought me one for Christmas, and although it was slightly too big to fit in the, uh, the slot that had been set aside and created for the ice chest, I thought to myself, I, I can probably make something so that I can set the ice chest on here, and it will still fit and allow the the swivel in the chair back to move forward and backward anyway. So uh, I got this ice chest. I looked at it. I, uh, I, I went and I, I got some pieces of wood, some fence board actually from Lowe's or from Home Depot, and I brought it to the house, and I began cutting and putting stuff together. Uh, my brother was there helping me, and as we did, I uh, finished with this wonderful-looking box. It was a beautiful box, really. And I was really excited about it, to the point that I was so excited I wanted to share what I had created with as many people as possible. I was that proud of it. I like to make things with my hands, and anytime I make something with my hands, I like for people to see it, not because I want to boast about what I can do, but I, really, honestly, I mean, I mean this, like it's not bragging. What I like to do is I, I want other people to share in the same joy that I have at seeing the finished work of a product that I was able to work on. That, that's what I enjoy doing. It, so it, it may sound kind of silly. Hey, check out this box I made. But for me, it was, really, it was really fun. It was really good. It was really satisfying. It may surprise you that I enjoy doing things, working with my hands. Maybe it doesn't. It really probably doesn't matter. But each time I build something with my hands, I take pride in it. It, it becomes something of a passion for me. And my wanting to share it with others is simply my wanting them to experience the joy that I've had and the satisfaction that I've 
had in completing a task well. I think it's ultimately, I think this is ultimately what we see in today's text in verses 8 through 10. Namely, that we are God's workmanship on display for His glory. God has done this incredible task of shaping us, building us, recreating us, as we'll see in this text this morning. And He's done it all for His glory. I want to show you where I get that from. First, look at, notice verse 7 of chapter 2. He says, so that in the coming ages he might show, right, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This showing, this is the display of these immeasurable riches that Paul has been talking about. These riches that we saw from the first message as we did this overview look at how Paul talks about these riches that God has given us because of his grace in Christ so last week, we saw the transformative work of salvation. That this transformative work is God's work in us. And this transformative work that we've sang about this morning is that Christ himself frees us from bondage to death. And so God raises us to life with Christ. And this is the work of redemption. This is what Christ has done in going to the cross and then being raised from the grave. He has died a death that you and I deserved to die in order that we might have eternal life by believing upon Christ. And so this work of redemption, he talks about in chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What are our trespasses? It's our sins, our offense to holy God. This is according to the riches of his grace. Chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what he did. Made us alive together with Christ. This is the work of redemption in the life of God's children. And so this week in verses 8 through 10, we see that the text builds on God's work in salvation. Telling us God's purpose in our salvation. And so this morning, this morning, I I want us to see that salvation is a grace gift from God. This grace gift is it's received only by faith so that we might walk in good works for his glory. Salvation is a grace gift from God received only by faith so we might walk in good works for his glory. We see this in verses 8 through 10. So follow along if you found your place in verse 8 as I read. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this is a familiar passage for many. It may have even been the first passage that you've memorized. You've probably heard a hundred messages, if not more, on this familiar text. But it is such a powerful text for the life of the believer. This is like the main dish of the entire book of Ephesians. And in this 
in these couple of verses, God showcases His grace in our salvation. We see this first in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This word grace, it it means something that is done on our account. Something that is unmerited. In fact, by definition, when grace is exercised toward a person, it is always in light of something that is unmerited. It's something that is not deserved. And so grace speaks of undeserved benefits or favor. So he says the immeasurable immeasurable riches of God's grace in verse 7. And then he talks in verse 8 about the grace given as a gift of God. And it means that God gives us what we don't deserve. And consequently, our salvation is not merited. This grace that Paul speaks about, it is unmerited favor and blessing from God. And he speaks of it in reference to our salvation. In a magazine article published back in 1992, Billy Graham recounted a story of grace that had happened to him several years earlier in his life. When Billy Graham was traveling through a small community, a town, he was stopped by a policeman and he was charged with speeding. Graham admitted his guilt. The officer said, you're going to have to appear in court before the judge. And so Graham appeared in court before the judge. And when the judge asked, are you guilty or not guilty? He replied, I'm guilty. And then the judge replied after hearing his plea or his guilty plea saying, that'll be $10 a dollar for every mile over the speed limit. Now it tells you how long ago that was, right? Suddenly, the judge recognized who the famous minister was. And as he recognized who the famous minister was, he said to him, you violated the law. The fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. So he he pulled out his wallet, he took $10 out, and he attached it to the ticket, and then he took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. That, said Billy Graham, is how God treats repentant sinners. That's grace. Not only did the judge pay the fine, The judge gave him much more than he deserved, right? He gave him a steak dinner. This is how the richness of God's grace is toward us in Christ. For those who have believed and professed belief and faith in Christ, this is how God's grace is towards us. It is rich and he lavishes his grace upon us. We don't deserve the goodness that God gives us, but it is His grace that comes to us richly and unmerited. Verses 8 and 9 give us two reasons why God showcases His grace in our salvation. And the first reason, purpose number one, is this, that believers are to exalt God as the supreme gift giver. This is what God desires from His people, that we would exalt Him as the supreme gift giver. And so there are two words we need to be concerned about here in verse 8. First, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So saved and faith. Well, what does it mean for a person to be saved? And what are we saved from? 
the salvation that Paul speaks about, is the transformation that he first mentioned in chapter 1, verse 5, when he said that we're predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is a transformation where our very nature is changed. It's transformed when we're adopted as sons and daughters of God, children of God. And this comes through Jesus Christ. And the reason we must be adopted is given in chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 3. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Right? Here's our condition. We were dead. We were without spiritual life. He goes on to say that just as we were dead, every human being since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden shared this condition of being spiritually dead before God. He goes on with terminology, verses 2 and 3, stating that we were sons, daughters of disobedience, right? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air that's at work within the sons of disobedience, we were by nature children of wrath. This is the condition of all humanity. But God brought us from death to life. And it was through the redemption of Jesus Christ and by his power of resurrection that he brought us from death to life. So to be saved means to be, as we said earlier, a new creation in Christ. We are new creations who have been ransomed from bondage to death. And we've been set free to eternal life in Christ. So all who are in Christ have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, ruled by Satan himself, into the kingdom of light, which has, as we've sang earlier, Christ reigning supremely. So we're brought from death to life. This is what it means to be saved. And this is, we are saved from eternal condemnation. As children of wrath, that's where we're heading And we're saved from that condemnation. For by grace you've been saved, he says, through what? Through faith. One writer asks, In what way do men receive that salvation which is offered to them by the hand of God? The answer is seen here in verse 8. By faith or through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith isn't a quality or a virtue, as the expositor's uh, Bible commentary says. It's not a quality or a virtue or a faculty. It's not something man can produce. It's a trustful response that is itself evoked by the Holy Spirit. Another way we might understand faith in this text is it's turning to God with a sense of need and weakness and emptiness and willingness to receive what He offers That is to receive the Lord himself. That's what he means to say that we are saved by grace through faith. See, faith is a response of receiving what's already been done for us in Christ. The work of Christ on the cross, believing upon him. Another writer says, let a man be abandoned by God and he is absolutely hopeless. It is the voice of God that arouses, that awakens, that causes a man to think and inquire. It is the power of God that gives him strength to act. 
It is the same power which makes provision for the need of new life. In case we would question this gift of God by grace that we are saved through faith, he goes on in verse 8 to say, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In other words, salvation, being saved at the gracious work of God and hand of God and faith in Christ, it is not your own doing, he says. This is God's work in you. This is a work of God initiated by God and carried out by God. And what Paul is saying here is that our response in all of this is to believe. It's to to believe by faith. Both salvation and faith are gifts that flow from God's grace. If you think about it, we've already seen that salvation is a work of God. Verse 4 of chapter 2, the main subject, but God. Verse 5, the main verb of that one long sentence, but God made us alive together with Christ. We see this in chapter 1, verse 4, that He had chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Chapter 1, verse 5, that our adoption will be predestined to adoption as sons. Chapter 1, verse 7, that He has given us redemption. And this is all according to the mystery of His will. Ultimately, hear this, ultimately, for the praise of His glory. God desires that we would exalt Him as the supreme gift giver. You see that in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14 who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. John 6, Jesus states to all those who are gathered around, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know what this means, church? It means all who are in Christ are in a humble position. We're in a humble position as recipients of God's divine grace and favor. And our response should be twofold. Number one, it should be to believe upon Christ. To have faith upon what He has done to grant us salvation. But secondly, secondly, it is to exalt the Father. To praise Him for the work that He has graciously done in our lives. Let me ask you to consider this morning, have you believed upon Christ? Have you believed upon the work that He has done to grant us salvation, redemption through the cross? to forgive us of our sin, to save us from death, and to bring us into the kingdom of life? Have you done that? Have you believed upon Christ for salvation? Secondly, this morning, we see the second purpose is that He saves us to make us humble before Him. To make us humble before God. Paul excludes the possibility of anyone obtaining salvation by any merit or any self-effort. 
Verse 9 says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why does he say it that way? So that no one may boast. It's as if he's guarding against something that might happen in the future, right? Just in case you want to boast, hear this. Hear what verse 9, not as a result of works. Your salvation, not as a result of works. Not anything you can do to earn it. It comes by faith because of the grace of God. Because of what Christ has done. You see, Paul knew it. God knows it. He knows our prideful hearts. God knows we want to earn things. He knows we want to make a name for ourselves. Have you ever received a gift from someone for no particular reason, but it came at a time when you really just felt low? Unworthy, certainly unworthy. Doesn't that humble you? I mean, you you literally have this feeling like, I'm taking this, but, oh my goodness, I, I don't deserve this. This is what salvation through Christ is like. We recognize our unworthiness before God. And we see that we don't deserve this grace for our salvation. But we receive it because He has given it to us. Kent Hughes in his commentary says, It's absolutely essential to understand and believe this if one is to be saved. Salvation does not come by works. I think we've got to be particularly careful here because salvation by works is something that many people in our culture especially, they they affirm and they believe. They think that we can be good enough to earn our way to God. That maybe we can do enough good things and we can balance out the scales on the day of judgment that if we've done enough good things and it outweighs the bad and we'll get eternal life. But notice this is not what Paul is saying. He's saying just the opposite. In fact, he's saying that the antithesis of faith, coming to God by faith, the antithesis of that is works. You see, works for salvation requires activity or action, but faith requires belief. You see, here's the difference. By faith, we believe. If it's up to us, if we can do enough good, then we can earn our way to God. Then we could boast before Him that we've done it. God says that's not in the equation. Paul says we come to God by faith, not by works. You know, this is incredibly humbling. It's humbling to know that we can't earn God's favor. We can't do enough. But we need to hear that loud and clear this morning. If you've not believed in Christ professed faith in Him and surrendered your life to Him, you need to hear that loud and clear. You cannot earn your way to God. There is no way to earn His favor. The only way to come to God is by surrender and believing upon Him, having faith that He, in fact, has done what He says He has done. And He will do what He says He will do. That is, he has redeemed us through the cross of Christ and he will secure us. He has secured us for eternity. You see, if we could do something to earn God's favor, we would have 
the right to boast in his presence. The point that we need to see this morning is that nothing we will do will qualify us for salvation. And the reason is because we can't boast before God. There's no room, there's no margin for boasting in God's presence. And this makes us humble before God. And so in light of what we've seen from chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, about the human condition outside of Christ, which includes every person at one point in their lives, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, subject to wrath, living in bondage to the powers of darkness, sons of disobedience. The question remains, at what point in the midst of our deadness would you or I have turned to God? And the answer is we wouldn't. But God, for his grace, his rich mercy and grace poured out upon us has called us. And by faith, we believe and we profess faith in him. See, we cannot earn what we cannot work for. We can't purchase what's not for sale. We can't boast in obtaining something that we can't earn. But here's what we can boast in. We can boast in the cross of Christ that has given us salvation. We can boast in the resurrection of Christ our Lord who has delivered us from bondage to death, forgiven us of all of our sins and mercifully poured grace out upon us so that we might have life. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He has poured out His wrath on our sin in Christ so that now we who believe in Him might have eternal life. We have the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. Now it's Christ's righteousness imparted to us by faith. This is grace. It's the steak dinner on top of the payment. God's grace toward us. So God has made salvation possible through one way only. And he's done it so that only he gets the glory. Purpose two, it's to make us humble before God. Secondly, this morning, I want us to see that our salvation is proven through good works. What I mean by that is that our, sal- our, our good works don't earn us salvation. Our good works come after our salvation because we have been changed and transformed. And therefore, our lives are different and they take on a different shape and a different form. Our former life and works contributed only to our fallen condition, our sinful nature, making us th- by nature children of wrath. Our works before being in Christ were unable to bring about our salvation, but now we turn to works resulting from our new position in Christ, and everything changes. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship in Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the beginning of verse 10, we see that believers are God's workmanship. His masterpiece on display. This word for workmanship is the Greek word poema. I share that because it's where we get our word poem from. But in the Greek, this word poema meant more than just poem or 
poetry. It spoke of art in general. Not like our English understanding. It means any work of art. And the idea is that as the workmanship, God's workmanship, we are, we are the created work of art. We are sculpted works of God's magnificent hand. This is an amazing thought. F.F. Bruce calls us God's masterpieces. And those who are by faith in Christ are God's masterpieces. Think about that for a minute. In Psalm chapter 19, or Psalm 19, 1, the psalmist says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hand. Day to day pours forth speech. About what? About God. Night to night reveals knowledge. About who? About God. Creation itself is declaring the glory of God. But I want you to get this. If you think about the cosmos, consider the wonder of the galaxies. Consider the wonder of the stars, the solar system, the beauty of the ocean at sunset, the beautiful picture that could be painted a million times over, the peaceful sound of waves crashing on the beach, the majesty of the mountains, the beauty of nature, Yet none of these are the masterpiece that verse 10 speaks of. Consider humanity created in the image of God, capable of reason, capable of emotion, set in place as stewards over God's creation. Yet even here in verse 10, even humanity in this general sense isn't the masterpiece of God's workmanship. Instead, out of all of these, occupying the chief place of his creation, it's the believer who is his chief creative work. We are his workmanship. Listen, created in Christ Jesus. Those who have been recreated in Christ, those who have been brought forth from death to life, are the workmanship that verse 10 is speaking of. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. And as Romans 5, 12-17 points out, as we sang earlier, while all died through the first man Adam, so through Jesus Christ, the second Adam, one man's death results in life for all who believe in Him. You see, here's the point. Each of us has an eternally designed job description, which includes the task, it includes the ability, and it includes the place to serve. And this leads us to the third purpose of our salvation. The third purpose is this. God's will for the believer is to walk in good works Listen, this is what God desires of every Christian, every one of us sitting in this room who are believers in Christ, who have been created in Christ. God has desired and designed that we would walk in good works. Look at what he says there in verse 10. For we his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. You see, good works in the believer's life flow from lives of holiness. Our lives are to be tools in the hand of our Heavenly Father. This doesn't mean that our lives are are filled with sinless perfection. 
But it speaks, I think, to the conduct of our lives. As believers, as those who are, who are in Christ, the conduct of our lives matter. That's why at the midpoint of, of Ephesians, Paul's letter here, he, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. This is the transition from that which is doctrinal in chapters 1 through 3 to that which is intensely practical, applying this doctrine into our lives. And the first statement he makes when he turns the corner here is that we would conduct our lives differently. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You see, it's through this conduct of life that God's grace is put on display. It's through the ministry of the church. It's through the believers living together in community of faith. It's through our lives shining out to the world that the grace of God is displayed in and through us. Why? Because we have been transformed. We're different than we used to be. Praise God, I'm different than I used to be. And each of us are. And so in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he exhorts us, learn to be imitators of God. Right? Learn to walk in love as Christ walked in love. And then in chapter 5, verse 10, he tells us to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I think this becomes the driving influence in the believer's life. And as we walk through the rest of Ephesians, we will see the transforming work of God's salvation in us, which in turn changes our lives. Well, he says that he has prepared good works for us to walk in. They are prepared beforehand. What are these works? What are the works that God has prepared beforehand? for the? We know it's God's will for us to walk in these good works. What are these good works? From the rest of Ephesians, he tells us what these good works are. Namely, they begin with our conduct and our life transformation by the hope and the work of the gospel within us. But he speaks about unity of the faith in chapter 4. He speaks about growth of the church into Christ our head in verses 12 through 16. And even that through this, we become vessels by which people hear and believe the gospel. Look at chapter 5, verse 14. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How do people hear that message? They hear it through... Believers, through the church, they see it displayed through our lives. And God, by His Spirit, works in them. And so we become the vessels by which people hear and believe the gospel. We're to display the gospel in our relationships. Chapter 5, right? Verse 22 through 6, 9. We see these different relationships from from the husband and wife relationship where the gospel is to be displayed. This is good wor- these are good works that God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in. We see it in the relationship of parents and children, how we disciple our kids, how our kids respond in obedience. We see it in the, the, the workplace relationship, the slave-master that's employee-employer. We see even there how all things that are done are to be done in a way that reflect the glory of God. And so God's will for the believer is that we would walk in good works. And in all of this, we're to be strengthened by the Lord through prayer. 
through the spiritual armor of God. And so we see that our salvation is proven through good works. The good works that we do act as proof of the salvation and the transformation that God has brought in our lives. The good works don't precede our salvation. They come after our salvation. You see, good works don't earn us favor with God. Good works prove that we have received the favor and the blessing of God because he has transformed us and changed us. So they don't become a means of depending upon our salvation. They become a means of working out our salvation. Faith. Believing upon Christ. Not by any works that we have done. That's how we receive salvation. You know, when an artist creates a beautiful piece of art, he or she wants to display it for all to see. The point of art isn't to express the point of art is to express the creativity of the maker, of the painter, of the sculptor, of the designer. Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he chipped away at a shapeless rock. He replied, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. <laughs> Such is the case of God's work in us. We're in his hands. God is at work freeing us from the bondage of sin. He has freed us from death and brought us into a life. And now through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, through being members of the body of Christ, through growing in faith and being accountable to one another, living together in the body of Christ, living as a community of faith, He is changing us and He is transforming us. You see, He created the universe out of nothing. And He's created you and me out of death to live for His glory. The tools in His hand are Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the church. You and I, God has created works beforehand for us to walk in. And I want to challenge you, to believer, believer, not only to be growing in your own faith, but be submissive to God and ready and willing to walk in the good works which God has called you to walk in beforehand, guarding the conduct of your life. Why? Not to make you a good person, to reflect the glory of God. Let me ask you this morning, are you walking in the good works that God has prepared for you before the foundation of the world? Have you surrendered to Christ and believed upon Him for salvation? You can this morning through repentance and confession of Christ by faith. Believer, are you exalting Christ because of the great work of salvation in your life? Is that where your heart is this morning? I pray it is, but if it's not, I pray that you'll take time this morning to make that good confession before the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's your first time to come before Him and repent, repent of your sins, tell Him you're sorry, turn from them. Receive the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ on the cross. And trust Him by faith that He secures you for eternity. Believer, confess your need for Him daily. Surrender. Ask Him to show you those works which He has prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Help. Ask Him to strengthen you to be faithful in carrying out His mission in living faithfully, following Him in this world. Let us pray. And you respond as the Lord leads this morning. Pray with me. Father, 
we thank you that our salvation does not come by our works. We can't earn it because, Lord, we can never be righteous enough to enter your presence. Thank you that through Christ's death and resurrection, we too have been given resurrection power because you have raised us from the dead and you have given us life. And if there's any here this morning who hasn't confessed your faith in you, I pray, God, that you would strengthen them. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to the truth of your word, that we confess their sin and believe upon you. And Lord, for those who, who need encouragement to walk as children of light, who need encouragement to engage in the works that you've called us to, even before the foundation of the world, I pray, God, that you would strengthen us to do that. Lord, I pray that you would receive all the glory. For, Lord, you are glorious. You have graciously saved us. And, Lord, we are humbled by your salvation. Teach us now, Lord, how to live out our faith. How to walk faithfully following you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?